Plant-based meat alternatives still struggle to achieve really good taste. Beyond Meats recently launched in Germany, yay, and I was surprised when I tried it how much fat actually ended up in the pan leaking out of the burger. Plant-based alternatives can get a big taste upgrade by using cultured duck fat, making them not vegetarian, but hybrid products. These are more attractive to flexitarians or meat eaters and can therefore make it easier for them to reduce consumption. We go into quite some detail how it is possible to produce cultured fat by choosing and proliferating the cells, which is a little bit geeky and super interesting. Additionally, we talk about the cultured foie gras, the fatty duck liver, which is usually produced by force-feeding ducks and stuffing them with corn. Taste is sometimes brutal. <laughs> well, there are no ducks or corns involved here, just, in my view, happy cells <laughs> and a good portion of science. Eva Sommer is the co-founder and chief product officer of Piece of Meat. She has a background in biotechnology and food science and was beforehand leading the division of food science in the clean meat startup Supermeat. David Brandes is co-founder and managing director at Piece of Meat. Formerly, he was chief commercial officer at Le Shop, the Swiss market leader of online supermarkets, and also senior engagement manager at McKinsey. You're listening to season one of Red to Green on cellular agriculture, animal products without animals, like cheese without cows and poultry without chicken. This is episode nine on duck fat and foie gras without duck. Check out our earlier ones to get an introduction. If you like the podcast, let's connect and keep in touch on LinkedIn. You'll find my profile as well as further information and also the LinkedIn profiles of Eva and David in the show notes. Or just look me up on LinkedIn, Marina Schmidt from Red to Green. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the Red to Green podcast on food innovations that are better for the planet and better for you. And I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. Thanks for being on Red to Green. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, let's get started. That's the first time I'm doing an interview with two people. That's also an experiment for me. David, you're working on several products at Piece of Meat. What are you working on and what are you prioritizing? We were not born out of a, out of a laboratory, out of a researcher that has managed to, to double some cells and then build a company around it, but we really strategically dissected the full value chain and identified opportunities to, to A, meet consumer demands, but also create uh, this ecological and economical impact. And also we really wanted to create a product that allows us to create impact as early as possible and not only to get on the market, you know, with a, a beautifully three-dimensionally designed uh, piece of meat in 2040, but we have set forward very ambitious targets to create impact early on. So as a result, we ruled out already some of the, let's say, lower impact products like specialty foods or also these three-dimensional meats that I talked about, for which we still see substantial either challenges or too small of a market. Uh, and then we realized there's a need to support existing plant-based meat producers and, and those brands to make better products than they do them today. Yeah, so I think the pea and the soy proteins, the extrusions and, and isolates that are available on the market they're already mimicking meat very well, but those plant-based meat producers need to get very creative in order to replicate also the taste and the texture of meat alternatives. 
uh, and that's because they cannot use animal fats uh, in their alternative products. And so we understand that by producing cultured fat and supplying cultured fat as a tasty and texturing ingredient to the plant-based meat market, we can have the largest and most immediate impact uh, of any products that we could be working on in this field uh, of cellular agriculture and using our approach as a platform. So our product is cultured fat as a tasty and texturing ingredient that we supply to the plant-based meat industry in order to improve their products. So as far as I understand, you have the cultured fat that you could add into, for example, plant-based products. But on top of that, you're also working on foie gras, right? Yeah, that's correct. So we're also working on a foie gras, to be specific, a pâté de foie gras. Pâté de foie gras is an unstructured product. It's pretty similar to fat in that aspect. The production process is also related. There are differences, though. For example, well, the cell type is different, right? So as you know, we're working now uh, with the fat on adipocytes. Liver is a hepatocyte, so it's a different cell type. But also from a food science perspective, the foie gras product follows a different path with regards to uh, flavor and texture creation, right? And we're creating this foie gras in a consortium that is including industry and, and scientific partners. Uh, and there we really benefit greatly also from, from this co- cross-pollination across different approaches, different partners and alternative approaches to our fat work. So it's a great complement those two products. David, are you targeting B2B or do you actually plan to bring out a B2C product sometime? Our objective is to take as many as possible animals out of the supply chain and also reduce uh, CO2 emissions. Globally, we believe that's mostly achieved by massive scale, right? We don't worry too much about who will be selling the final end product containing our ingredients but we want to be a supplier to those brands so it's a clear b2b brand now when it comes to uh, some specialty products in the future we will never exclude potentially also you know to to launch one or two products uh, directly to a customer but currently we focus on our core competency and where we where we think we will have the most impact and that's not by building a brand or building a distribution but it's by understanding biology and upscaling So let's look at the cultured fat first, and then we can dive into the four grass and further. Ifa, what are the problems that piece of meat is addressing when creating cultured fats? So when you have cultured fat, uh, it really acts wonderfully with plant-based material. So when you have cultured fat and you add it to a vegan vegetarian product, it really changes the juiciness and tenderness of your proteins. And another benefit is that with some vegetarian vegan products, you fry them and all the fat is leaking out because it doesn't have a good structure and doesn't give a good mouthfeel. When you have cultured fat, you have the fat inside of animal cells and then it's somehow encapsulated and the fat really comes out in point. Eva, does this make it still vegan vegetarian? No, it's actually then more of a hybrid mixed product. Yes, so this is a hybrid product between plant-based proteins and cultured fat. This is rather a philosophical question, what someone describes as vegan. Some people are vegan because they believe in animal rights. I think those people might be fine with eating those products. Other people really focus on health, reducing fat, or just 
don't want to eat anything from animals and this might not be the right product for them. But I believe that the flexitarians will love our products because they're really able to fulfill the organoleptic experience of eating meat. And Eva, are you targeting really mainly just plant-based products or are you also going after other applications um, for these fats? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I would say for now, we really focus on meat alternatives. The reason for that is that we want to focus on rather a smaller area. We want to change the fatty acid profile. We want to make really good products and we, we have collaborations on that to really fulfill the requirements from our P2P customers. So we, we might also go to the cosmetic area, for instance. Mm -hmm. but believe that for now we should really focus on a small area and for me meat alternatives are very important interesting yeah we have been now already addressing uh, some of the benefits of the solution and what it would look like uh, david do you have uh, something to add to that i think there's also just some some facts and numbers that we've discovered by either researching and also talking to not only the the producers but also the plant-based consumers. So we know that permanent retention uh, is the most crucial step in the in the customer journey. So it's not all about just, you know, serving a meat eating consumer once, but you really want to retain that meat eating customer and, and the current products uh, on the plant based meat markets are not apparently uh, fit to retain customers. Um, and by the way, those consumers, for example, of a Beyond uh, Meat burger, I think they are like 85 or 90% meat eaters, right? So 31% I believe that uh, plant-based meats taste worse. 23% of meat eaters uh, demand more exciting flavors in plant-based meats. And we also know that for 86% of consumers, quote, taste as the largest driver uh, of new food adoption. We're really in um, the game to support plant-based meats uh, in order to make their product more juicy, more tasty, and ultimately attract and retain uh, customers permanently. Fascinating. How big is the market that you're addressing there? The global edible fat market uh, per se is massive. So it's a $163 billion market by 2026. And those fats, they either come from monocultures, right? So plant-based monocultures, mainly in, in Indonesia or Malaysia, or they come as a byproduct uh, from slaughterhouses. It's what I would call a pretty dirty business today, and it's the business mm -hmm. we're in, uh, in it uh, to disrupt. So the plant-based meat industry alone, according to UBS, will be around $50 billion. Uh, dollars by I think it was 2026 uh, and now if you take uh, 10 to 25 percent uh, of those ingredients coming from fats you get to a pretty interesting market size at least to get an idea of the magnitude but I think this market won't really be limited by the demand but rather by production capacity right we will probably exceed by 2029 in terms of demand what we calculated 100 million tons of alternative meats uh, and that's a lot of meat and a lot of in ingredients to be produced. So I, we believe that the market is quite large and, and we hope that uh, we'll see quite some, some other players also um, being able to satisfy that market. Yeah. I mean, if there's so much to produce, like such a big volume, I'm curious uh, how the production process looks like. Eva, could you give us a bit of an overview of how it looks like and how it's maybe different from, uh, compared to culturing meat? 
Yes. So in the beginning, you need for sure a starter cell. This could be uh, embryonic stem cells, like really pluripotent stem cells with the potential to be any kind of cells. Multipotent stem cells, as many companies are using as satellite cells, or also immortalized primary cells are an option. Anyway, we decided that we want to have a really continuous cell line, which is indefinite and which doubles potentially forever. And our cells are also pluripotent. That means they can be everything. But for now, we focus on hepatocytes, liver cells and fat cells. So first of all, we need to isolate the cells. We do that from embryos. So we take eggs, which were fertilized and isolate the embryonic stem cells. And when you want to have the same cells from other species, beef, for instance, it's much more difficult because embryos are not uh, so easy to get out of those other animals. So you isolate several hundreds or even thousand cell lines from eggs, and then you compare them. So you screen them for the best properties, and you only work with the successful cell lines. And in the end, you, you, you first start to screen on temperature, maybe on doubling time, and later on, on media requirement. So you are able to lower medium costs by lowering the growth factor concentration. And there are many different aspects you can change here by using those methods. And yeah, so the next step is that you need to proliferate them. You want that they do that as soon as possible. You want them in high quantity and this takes several days. And then you need to decide what type of cells you want to have. In our case with fat, we differentiate them to fat cells. So we need to feed them with very uh, specific compounds. Uh -huh. And then they started to differentiate to fat cells. And we have a very successful cell line. I think no one else in the cultured meat sector is using those. And they are very successful with accumulating a lot of fat in a short period of time. And we are going through this process like all the time. We are screening for the best components and to lowering the media costs. We start to upscale those technologies as we speak. And yeah, the screening of the components is extremely important for us. And I also believe for other companies, because we really need to work on lowering the prices, especially when it comes to growth factors. And the only way to do it is high throughput screening. So you really need to screen many, many different components to really be successful. And what do you do afterwards? Uh, is this process creating the final fat that you are going to use? Or are you doing anything else to the fat cells? We do lipidomic analysis to verify which combinations bring us to the right fatty acid profile, which is important for the right mouthfeel. Okay, so to summarize, you're using cells which in theory could become like nearly any type of cell, then you are screening them for the ones which, let's say, are the most promising. And then you start feeding them certain nutrients, which make them become fat cells. And those fat cells you screen again, and combine into um, a good profile, which then makes suitable fat. 
Yes, exactly. That's exactly the way how it looks like. David, you've had a launch in March mm -hmm. revealing a hybrid nugget, and actually you did that in Berlin. Super exciting. Can you um, share a bit uh, how it tasted and what was the reaction of people? Yeah, sure. Pity, pity you weren't there. If we would have been in touch already earlier, we would have definitely invited you also to Berlin. <laughs> But we still had 150 attendants joining the event. It was uh, very well received. We actually conducted that event on, I think, early March. So just before also COVID hit Europe in full swing, it was the first public cultured meat showing in Europe by any startup that I'm aware of and generated quite some, some, some media attention. We also invited other plant-based meat and milk companies. For example, Planted was there, also Fly Foods. We also did a little behind the scenes tasting with seven people where we got some really good qualitative information on how our cultured fat product together with a plant-based meat matrix behaves as compared to a purely plant-based product or a purely meat-based product. So we uh, scored very well on flavor, juiciness and tenderness and texture and actually yeah. much higher on those, on those three dimensions than the, than the pure plant-based nugget in this case we produced a nugget okay cool what is your growth plan and where is your status quo right now maybe david you can elaborate on this sure so we've we've set forward one target last year and that's the production of a hundred thousand um, tons per year right this is kind of our north star and everything we do is answering that question does it bring us closer to the production of a hundred thousand tons uh, per year because if if we don't get to that point then the whole industry will not have the desired impact ecologically and economically that we want to be in for. Currently, all, th all thoughts really circle around the design and the implementation of an infrastructure to produce commercially viable volumes. Uh, if we mm -hmm. want to get to this place uh, where we produce 100,000 tons of product, and by the way, that's a 10-year plan, yeah, so it comes from last year, so it's by 2029 and there's a ramp up how to get there. Then we need to design bioprocesses and also upscaling systems that are unseen today. Uh, current limitations of bioreactors, for example, in the biopharmaceutical world is around 20,000 liters, and mm -hmm. we will need a multiple of that. Uh, and we're also considering in which geographical areas, for example, to implement uh, such an infrastructure. Where will we have enough sustainable supply of water, of energy, for example? Where is the legislative environment favorable? Those questions come to mind uh, when really thinking about how to scale and how to reach those objectives that we've that we've ambitiously uh, set forward. Asian countries, for example, such as Singapore, are currently expected to be uh, very early movers. But there are also innovative pockets uh, in Europe, uh, for example, Flanders in Belgium, where we are right now. And we, th we think that our region is really gearing up towards taking a leading role in alternative protein production. And it could be also a, a favorable hub for production of, of such large biomass, at least in Europe. Yeah, I've read uh, that you also got national funding, right, David? Uh, correct. We're very grateful to have received a government grant of the Flemish uh, government as part of a consortium of uh, five partners, including academical and industrial partners. Uh, together, we're working on this foie gras that we just talked a little bit about earlier. It's potentially the largest public grant that was made available for the production of cultured uh, meat products. And again, we're grateful to be part of it. Fantastic. Congratulations. Then let's move to the foie gras. Eva, can you um, share with us 
why did you choose to work on Fogra and what are the problems that you are tackling? Yeah, I think all of us know the pictures of how the stuffing of ducks and geese looks like. It's known since many years how the farmers put the, the steel pipes into the troughs of the animals several times, I think two times for ducks and three times for geese over several weeks. Uh, this is not only really cruel and traumatic for the animals, but it also causes serious injuries. Still, people eat it. The reason for that is it's an extremely delicious product. It melts in the, in the mouth and it's just a delicacy. So people don't stop eating it, even though they know how problematic the production looks like. So when, when we look at it from the perspective of cultured meat foie gras, there are different types of foie gras. But when we look at the pâté de foie gras, it's a product that can be quite easily produced with cultured meat. We do not really need a structural meat here. We can grow the cells, we can make them fatty. So the process is basically the same as in producing fat. We can start with our starter cells, the pluripotent stem cells, and the proliferation state where we want to have a huge quantity of our cells is also basically the same, but the differentiation process is a bit different. So we want to differentiate them to liver cells and then make the liver cells fatty. And we are extremely grateful to have here collaboration with our research partner, Kao Lern. We work with the top researchers who are doing science on hepatoscience uh, since many years. I think the world leading group working on that. And they really know how to differentiate cells to hypotocytes. This is not trivial, so not uh, not everyone can do that. And yeah, we we also support them on the fattening process because this is where our expertise lies. So did I get you right that pretty much you're using the same type of cells in the beginning, which again can become different types of cells later on? And then you're probably feeding them different nutrients, which makes them end up as liver cells. Exactly. So we start with the same starter cells. The proliferation step is also the same. We need here a really successful promising cell line, which is a low doubling time to be really cost efficient in production. But as soon as we have the right quantity, the differentiation process looks differently. They need mm -hmm. different uh, cross factors, different small molecules how do you fatten them do you like force feed the cells do you just like push them into like lots of tasty nutrients or how do they end up fat yeah so when you look at the process of the conventional process they basically feed them with a lot of corn which consists of high glucose we do basically the same we feed them with a lot of different sugars and free fatty acids and we working on the right composition here to have the the mouthfeel of eating foie gras. Like we really try to figure out how does the fatty acid profile look like, where does the taste come from, and we tell ourselves uh, that they are still inside the body, and we just try to mimic the process of stuffing ducks basically. Somehow the cells 
seem more happy to me <laughs> than the ducks. <laughs> I just imagine them being very happy with all of the nutrients around them. Just like, ah, nice, heaven. <laughs> um, we produce our product without blood. Yeah. A huge difference. Yeah. How common is it still that cellular agriculture companies are still using, for example, fetal bovine serum? So FBS comes from a fetus of cow, but could be also horse or chicken. FBS is widely used in research and it's not stable and it's also not safe. So it won't be possible to produce cultured meat with FBS because no one can make sure that this FBS is safe. But in our case, we work with Avian because vaccine companies already use very similar cells as we do. So uh, they have developed media which consists of the right cross factors to produce a large quantity of cells. So uh, we can use those media compositions to produce our cells or to grow our cells without FBS. This is very beneficial and there is a lot of knowledge behind that. But still, we need to lower our production costs. So those media, for instance, is available commercially for around 20 euros per liter, which is very cheap for now. It's much cheaper than using FBS. But when we want to really produce in large scale, and we talk here about 100,000 tons per year, then to find a new composition uh, for the media with really low cross-factor concentrations and we need to find alternatives. So we need to screen our cells for small molecules which can directly replace cross-factors. So this is an extremely important part of our work. This is the only way how we can reduce so. the cost. So uh, quick note on the side for the listeners. So FBS is referring to fetal bovine serum. Also, I think it would be super hard to scale that just Absolutely. in terms of cost and work that's required to get it. Yeah. So long-term cultured meat is very much going to be completely cruel-free. David, maybe you can elaborate on how the foie gras is actually going to look like. So do you add anything to it? Yeah, so similarly to, to our fat products, we are seeing ourselves as an ingredient uh, supplier into hybrid plant-based cultured meat hybrid products. So similarly, again, to our cultured um, fat use case, we are providing anything between 15 and 25% of cultured, in this case, liver as an ingredient. And this will be blended with a plant-based matrix. There are various production methodologies for blending, for example, in plant-based products containing uh, cultured fat, you could think about uh, extrusion, you could think about uh, 3D bioprinting, you could think about mincing. So based on the production process required, we produce cultured meat ingredients according to the specifications needed. And then you add anything between 15 and 25% of a cultured meat-based ingredient in order to get to 100% of the meatiness of the meat Mm. And how have you received the reaction from 
conventional producers? Were they thrilled to hear about this cultivated fat or were they skeptical, maybe laughing it off or super excited? How do you see the attitude towards these new trends? Yeah, so as we're really advancing from, let's say, investor-oriented presentations to customer-oriented presentations, we do talk a lot to potential brands that are interested in including our product. And here we'll talk to brands that are that are really from an innovative point of view interested uh, in our product that understand that there is a new ingredient coming that will drastically improve their product, an ingredient that will help them differentiate themselves in an increasingly commoditized market where you have around 200 plant-based meat companies already uh, mm. today out there. That's not to say that Every uh, company we talk to is embracing, you know, this, this product, like the new savior uh, on the block, <laughs> if that's a saying. But we do see uh, a very active interest. And, and obviously, there are some questions that, that we're still working on. For example, you know, how will the end consumer appreciate and, and embrace the new product? Uh, will it be vegan? Does it fit my branding positioning and my product positioning? So those are questions we're answering now. But generally, I think the plant-based meat industry has understood that there is a great opportunity in the new ingredients based on a cellular platform. If you would have 50 million in what businesses would you invest it in if you can't invest it into a piece of meat? do. would you like to answer that question? Yeah, I think there are many different things. I would really combine cultured meat with synthetic biology because this would even more combine the things I really love. So most probably I would just ask someone to set up a company to produce animal cells with photosynthesis. So this would be my dream that they only consume uh, CO2 and produce, for instance, cultured fat or other types of meat. Interesting. And David, what would you invest in? Yeah, so listening, having listened to some of your podcasts, obviously I know this question is coming and it's one of my favorites from uh, what I hear from you know other inspiring speakers. For me, there are really two parts. So one is uh, investing into structurally disadvantaged founders uh, who really understand kind of the marginalized communities uh, they live in. And it's not just for creating a more uh, equal world, but also because I think that there's a, like a host of really raw and untapped uh, talent and potential in those groups that currently does not have any access to capital markets. So I, I just believe that there are there is a lot of potential coming out of marginalized communities that we can tap into if, if we were to set up a fund, for example, that is specifically targeting those groups. But then on the second point, when it more comes to content, uh, I completely agree also with EFA. So I think the intersection of anything that's at the intersection of, of biology, how we will experience that uh, in the future is interesting. For example, automation and synth uh, synthetic biology, human-machine interfaces, anything on, on genome engineering, either for medical or for feed applications, new and, and novel bio-based materials around additive manufacturing, I think are seeing a really a breakthrough right now. Anything around um, microbes to produce composite materials. So I think there's just a very new understanding of biology based on automation, and, and that, is a, that is a super exciting field. Yeah, that was a super exciting interview. Uh, thank you, Eva and David, for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for being on Red to Green. Thank you very much. It was great to talk with you. Thanks, Marina. If you liked the episode, remember to subscribe to not miss future seasons on topics like 
plant-based alternatives, food waste and reducing single-use plastics. Until next time, let's move our food system from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.